Welcome back to Lent and Rouge Cycling Podcast for the awards show part two. And you're listening to this on Monday, I think, or maybe a bit earlier. Uh, depends on how quickly we get it out. Then we have Benji and I going to Paris on for the Tour de France route reveal. We'll then have our reaction after that. And we may have a part three for the awards show. Uh, but this will be a more traditional categories of best domestique, best time trialist, who is the best GC rider of 2022, who is the best team, and who who is the best cyclist in the world in 2022. So the part three, I was thinking, depends. Let us know if you'd be interested in it. More fun categories like biggest miss, which is the Jai Hindley Award from our takes on my take, most clutch performance, biggest dog act, can think of a few, biggest deviation. I think Benji mentioned off air, uh, most disappointing transfers. I reckon they could be pretty fun. So we can be easily convinced if you'd like a part three with uh, those categories. What have you been up to, Benji? Any? Have you watched any movies? I have not watched any movies. I've been uh, re-watching Game of Thrones with my girlfriend as she hasn't seen it. And I'm kind of like in the mood of like the early seasons being amazing. And hopefully she doesn't realize that the last two seasons aren't that amazing. So I guess we'll get there eventually. That's what I'm doing so far. And uh, yeah, I've been enjoying my days. But hey, I've also been prepping the Giro d'Italia uh, preview for next year already. So <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. It's October and I'm already delving into it. <laughs> I know that's your route. If you haven't listened to that episode, we went in depth into it. It's a pretty interesting route, actually. As since you asked, I watched also on the flight over to Australia. I watched Nobody. Terrible. It was with Bob Odenkirk. I don't know how it has 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes used to be good, and now you can't trust it anymore. Like, I don't know what it is. Back in the 2010s, yeah, I didn't think Nobody was was very good at all. Anyway. Before we get into the best domestique rankings of 2022, I'll give you an update on my Zwift progress. It's going well. Thank you for following me on Zwift. As I said, an hour a day, except when I'm in Paris, so no abuse in the comments when I'm in Paris uh, in the middle of next week, an hour a day, and that can be split up. Two by 30, that's the beauty of Zwift is I hop on in the morning, get the heart rate going, and it's actually, I'm comparing now, and actually, let me let me show you, I, I, I've done this before, showing people on a podcast when half the listeners are listening on audio, I'll show, let me show you the weather in Andorra right now. <laughs> wow, thank you, my friend. The audio. You see that? You see that? <laughs> the people who you are watching me? the audio podcast are going to be like, well, "Where, where is the video?" I fix the camera now. <laughs> that, that that's where the, I'm too soft for that. It's like nine degrees, raining, ain't happening. I'll hike in it, no problem. And Toby, if I don't take him, he'll beat me up. But the beauty of it is, it's dark at eight a.m. I get up, get on Swift, crank out forty minutes, thirty minutes, doesn't matter. And now I have my ghosts chasing me, the PR ghosts, which I actually quite like having, um, experiencing that. And I feel a lot better for the rest of the day. And then I probably do a little bit at the end to wind down. But yeah, that's my general. It's going well. Haven't missed a day yet. Um, so just thought I'd give you a little update uh, on that. Uh, any any feedback from you, Benji, on the on Zwift, on my progress? Are you my coach? 
I don't know. You're already finding excuses to not have to train in Paris. Then again, you don't have a, don't have a trainer. There. I can't <laughs> bring. Mate, have you seen budget airlines? How much it would cost to bring a trainer on <laughs> on Vueling or EasyJet? Yeah, I'd have um, to, it'd be cheaper to buy a new trainer in Paris. Yeah, on my end, of, in a few days, I'll be going to the Zwift offices actually because I I'm aiming to potentially do my first FTP test at the Zwift like lab in their building. So. I'm I'm, di- I'm already dying thinking about it, so I'm scared. Help! <laughs> that sounds pretty good, actually. I'd like to hear the feedback or what what the what the lab looks like. Um, I'm sure that'll be on Twitter. So keen to see that. Anyway, men's awards show part two. Who was the best domestique of 2022? We have some big iconic domestique performances. With I feel like satellite riders. Use went up this year, Benji. Probably because everyone listens to the pod now. Um, the <laughs> like, there's just lots of notable examples of it. There's also notable examples where there was the chess match where even if it didn't work out, you could see teams were trying to get riders in the break, like McNulty on Pagur. Um, but yeah, there was Camner Van Art on how to Cam. I feel like. Do we overrate those? How do we balance those before we get into the discussion of the riders? Balance those really high-profile ones against the guys in the trenches doing the dirty work, pulling from 50Ks to 15Ks, keeping guys in front position like a de Klerk, like a Van Hooydonk. It's very difficult to balance that. It's very difficult to compare a performance of like a Vervaka who was on Sierra Nevada compared to a de Klerk early on in Eduardsdorf Landeren, for example. So... It's basically subjective on what we both watched and what we both experienced when watching the races. So that's how I view it, at least. And there's multiple aspects to that. You can also say, like, oh, are we not being a bit more biased to World Tour riders by experiencing more the World Tour races? And then there's, like, some legendary domestique in the Conti trenches that we don't know about that will just pop up out of nowhere in a few years. Who knows? We don't know that. But we'll talk about what we know. And like you mentioned, Kemna is one of the riders that can be mentioned, was an essential satellite rider in the Giro d'Italia on stage 20 and also had some chances for himself, but that's not to be judged in this Domestique Award. So he played a big role in Hindley's victory at that Giro d'Italia. Wout van Aert played a role in Vingegaard's victory at the Tour de France, was in the break so many times, both for himself in the green jersey, but also for Vingegaard as a satellite rider up the road. And these are two examples of satellite riders. Another example is Tish Benoit, where... He was a satellite rider once in the tour, but that didn't really work out that stage. So that was not oh, no, really... He, his okay. job was to pull the brake so he kept the gap for WoW, I think. Because he, yeah. he was he crashed and he wasn't he was a bit injured, I think. Yeah, and next to that, he was also part in the cobble season, part of the team that tried launching WoW Fenard and Laporte, also in some races as co-leader. So he's like a bit of the balance between a co-leader and a domestique. So we got to keep that in mind as well. Wout Pools being a strong domestique for Landa at the Giro d'Italia. Very underrated performance, I think, in my eyes. I think at certain stage, he was there with the three best climbers in the race. So that defines being a, a super domestique at its core, like in his heydays back in the day when he was at uh, at Froome's side. Oh, wonderful performances by Wout Pools as a domestique in the past. But then we've got three other riders. And two of those are the ones you mentioned as well. And Nathan van Hooydonk is one that... Is a strong domestique early on in races, and we saw that in the couple races, but also in the Tour de France, where he played a role in controlling the breakaway. And at the uh, couple races, also was used to be sent forward in groups, which is also kind of a domestique role because 
you're playing you're playing debate up the road. So you're being forced to play debate in favor of your team leader. So I consider that also a domestique functionality in a race. Ben Turner also very strong on the cobbles and the hill classics. The way he destroyed on Amstel half the peloton on those consecutive hills before we saw the launch of Kwiatkowski and Pitcock, that was ruthless by Ben Turner. And we saw that in many races that he did. Sorry, what? Tour de Hungary, he did a huge lead out on the hill for Dunbar, and Dunbar couldn't finish it off. I know it's a two-one race, but like he can climb all right yep. on shallow gradients. Even was he in the Vuelta? He was in the Vuelta, right? I swear he did the run-ins into the posi- into yep. the base of climbs, and then Ineos didn't do anything. But he kept the guys in front too, so he was good for a lot of the year. Whereas like Camna, I knock. Because it's just a one-off, yeah, and then he's largely a stage hunter. Sorry, were there any last candidates for you, Benji? I think the biggest underrated one for me of the ones that I haven't mentioned is probably Valentin Madouas because there is no bloody way that David Godu ends fourth in the Tour <laughs> no de France without Valentin Madouas by his side because that man saved Godu's soul multiple times during that race, brought him back to groups multiple times, was by his side on every single climb threw away all his own chances in the Tour because this man can win a Tour de France stage, I'd say relatively easily, but he's by Godou's side and he's part of that fourth spot of Godou. So that's one of the riders that's in there that I do put very highly. But are there names like, what do you think about it, Tim Leclerc this year? Because he couldn't really show it due nah, to the injury early sick. on. Eh? He was sick or injured. He just didn't race enough in the big races. Rain Tarame I'd put out there mm-hmm. for Jan Hirt. I think Tarame was... Uh, proved it like he was just a good domestic for Jan here at UAE Tour, um, and then in the Oman, and then I can't remember, maybe in the Giro. I think, um, I think Taramo was good. It's tough because I'm sure there are guys, right, who are bringing a guy back, a GC leader who's in the seventh to 10 region in a world tour GC race, stage race. And they bring him back from, say, Group 2 to Group 1, and they do it a couple of times. But we, we don't see it on TV or on camera as much. We don't really notice as much. So, And you can't go on PCS and look up best domestique rankings. <laughs> like It's very <laughs> subjective. And maybe Madawas, I don't have in my top three. Ooh. I acknowledge, hugely important for Godou in uh, the Tour de France, but ultimately he helped a guy get fourth in the Tour instead of sixth. And it's maybe because I didn't watch or I can't remember, in February, did he help in Fournardash and Drone Classic, the French one days? Did he help in other stage races? Maybe I'm knocking him a little bit, but I can only go off what I remember. Um, like, Are there any other – did he do anything else? Because in the Classics, he was a co-leader. He was co-leader, but I do remember him playing a role for Kung in one of the races, as in riding in a group where Kung was a part of, for example. But that aside, I do want to mention – Are we underrating the super domestiques of UAE and Yumbo a bit? As in, we haven't mentioned the Sepkus, who was on this list last year. We haven't mentioned the McNulty or Soler, who have been playing a role for UAE. Mikel Biel, who played a role for UAE, but was very inconsistent at the Tour de France. Where do you rate those performances compared to the names we've already mentioned? And you guys know... um, McNulty was good on Stage 17, but otherwise didn't influence... Any outcomes for Pog? I don't think. Um, Soler was solid, but was a domestique for one race, the Tour, and on Galibier made a huge mistake. And then 
Bjerg is not very good. So <laughs> Bjerg is part of the reason they had so much trouble in the tour. So no, Kus, Haltecam, huge pacing. Like Kus' performance on Haltecam, right, is more important than what Van Aert did. Yes, Van Aert dropped Hog, but that's only because Kus paced for 15, 17 minutes at a really high tempo. Uh Kus, Kus is very consistent. He's paced on Pagook, shut it down. It's just, it's also one race, you know, and I'm really looking at work across the season. Uh, so that's why I have my list, Nathan van Hooydonk first. I'm giving it to the men in the trenches. You go from the classics, Menji, Benji, Menji, Benji mentioned <laughs> he was baiting. You have Parry Nice. Lining up stage one, Calais stage, keeping them in position on his own in the run in from 25 gays and then launching the climb. You have the whole Tour de France, Yumbo Visma had significantly less problems in the sprint stages or mixed stages when Van Hoydonk was on the front and he did a good job in Denmark. And yeah, he was he was just good. So I have him first. I have Van Aert second. I think when you when you single-handedly save a guys to win a one-week GC, that counts for a lot. Oh, nice. Tour de France, he, I think him being there, like cobble stage was weird at the start. I think he, there was a few mistakes there from him in particular, but then he ultimately did pull Vingegaard back. Uh, then Housecam was great, of course. And I just more think the threat of him up the road and him sacrificing in that sense in the last week and a half Agacha, I think, didn't it, it played on him a bit. So I think he was hugely important in the tour. And um yeah, so I have him second and third. I have who do I have in my notes? Turner. I think Turner was absolutely class, classic stage races throughout the year. Um, you know, even like I know I'm mentioning Tour de Hungary, but I think he could do even more. I like I think he can do even more. And I yeah, I, th- I have him third. I get that, I get that. Now my list is different. <laughs> Let that be clear. <laughs> Doesn't mean that it's completely different because you've got two of the same riders in that top three. But the third spot is different. I don't have Fanard in my top three. And I agree that Paranese is a is an event where he fully wrote himself away to save that GC of Primoz Roglic. So that's a light point that would deserve him a top three spot. I agree with that. But I went more for three riders that completely wrote their own chances away, chances that I think they do have in certain races to be a complete domestique in parts of the season. And the third spot for me is Valentin Modouels because I do value that that Tour de France domestique performance. But because like when you say Fanat did that at Paris to save the victory for Primoz Roglic, yes, but I find it more gloryful that Modouels threw away all his chances to get someone to fourth position completely. I, f- I think that's also... Spectacular. So that's why I've got him in third spot, Valentin Maduas. I rate him and I hope he gets a lot of chances next year because he's an absolute goat and he can top ten every monument that I've been saying that for 17 years, but it hasn't happened yet. He's quite big. Yep. Sorry, just to interject Maduas, I think I mentioned this before. He was in he and Pino, I was not having breakfast with them, but the day after the Champs Elysees stage, they were down at breakfast in the same hotel. And Pino looks like Pino does skinny, you know. I think about six foot six uh, around there. But Madawa's big guy, like he was way bigger than I expected. And for him to climb like that, and that means the reason I mentioned that is the draft benefit he provides is more than if it's a Pozzo or even a Pole. Like he, 
I'm saying, yeah, he must provide a lot of benefit as a domestique, up, down, flat, wherever. Yeah, I agree. I've got Ben Turner in second, also a name you mentioned for your top three. I think it's a strong domestique. Threw a lot of chances away at the couple season where he might have been one of the stronger riders at the team. And even in Roubaix, for example, they're playing that two-up game. They're rolling attacks on the others in that group, which Fambala ends up riding away from. The factor that Turner is there is also a, a form of domestique work for Fambala because he lifts pressure of Fambala to have to do it alone. Yeah, he was probably co-leader at that point in the race. So it's kind of on the edge. I'll agree with that. But the work at Amstel and so forth, and you said it, at the Vuelta, going towards the start of climbs, keeping riders in position, that's vital as well. And he did that in so many races. And that brings me to my first spot, which is also Nathan van Hoydonk. And one factor that I think you didn't mention, one event that you didn't mention was at the Tijenberg, I think, in E3. He was also the one that lined up the entire peloton before they got to the Tijenberg, where eventually we had the attack of Laporte, Wout, and the group that they eventually went within that race. So that's also a very vital moment that gave them a lot in that classic. And in all the classics, he played a big role. In the Hill classics, he played a role in Amstel by going up the road early. In the Tour de France, he played a role by working early on. He was a satellite rider in some stages. He was vital for Idiombo Visma team, and I think he's the best domestique in the world. And let me call out Belgian media for a second. I, I love my Belgian media journalists, but the Cristal and Fitz, which is like a trophy that is given in Belgian media, together with the Flandrien trophy, they both have a domestique <laughs> award. And they gave it How to Benoit. two awards? They gave it to Benoit and Von Wilder, and not Van Hoydonk. And even Benoit said did... afterwards, <laughs> I didn't deserve it, Van Hoydonk deserved it. <laughs> so, what did Van Wilder do? <laughs> well, Van Wilder did play a role in the Vuelta. But I'd argue that it's on the edge with Fervaka. Like, both these riders could be named to be top Fervaka 10 Fervaka was better. I think Fervaka was better. more vital at the right moments. For example, the yeah. Sierra Nevada satellite rider moment for Fervaka, that's, that's a goal-like performance. But I do believe if Van Velder is in the breakaway that day, he can do the same thing. So it's kind of the quick-step tactic. Choosing Fervaka instead of Van Velder makes us put Fervaka above Van Velder, in my opinion, in this ranking. Oh, San Sebastian on High Iskabel Vavaka was good too. Yeah. I I think, yeah. Anyway, that's I don't know how you have two awards shows. But that was our domestique rankings. Let us know if we missed anybody or what your rankings would be. Who was the best time trialist of 2022? This was a tough one because there was no out and out outright winner we had a very unusual winner of the world championships uh, at over a hundred dollar odds tobias foss but otherwise he was you know not competitive for winning world tour tts for the rest of the year uh yes he came second in chrono de nation we got kung who was close but didn't really do well in world tour tts but then second at worlds Ghana had a down year um, but he still won a couple of World Tour TTs. Bisigo won the UAE Tour TT, then crashed in the Tour, and then was, um, yeah, just not not that close to the other guys. Pog was okay, like consistent. And then there's Van Aert, who didn't do the World Champs TT, which is a big knock in this category for me. I really... Australia, I can't put him first. I, I cannot yeah. put him first if he didn't do the World Champs TT. Are yeah. you in the same mind? I'm in the same mind. And like 
We talk about the likes of Tobias Foss, Pogacar, Gana, Bissiger, Kung, Evenpool, Van Aert. And the thing with Foss is he had the one great time trial, which was the World Championships, where he won. Like, he won that from a very outsider position. And throughout the year, he was not as successful as a time trial is. So it's also very difficult to say, oh, this guy deserves to win. It's very difficult, this, this category. But if we look at the season and we look at the results, doesn't... Tobias Foss's World Championship victory make him the most successful time trialist? No. It's like if it's like if someone won the tour and literally did nothing in any other GC race for the rest of the year. I wouldn't put make them the best GC rider. Uh, you have to do something else in other races. If he'd had a second in a Giro TT, I don't think he I don't think he did that well in the Giro TTs. I should check otherwise. I'll be Giro TT sixth and eighth. So that's like, and those TTs were not stacked in quality. Uh, Prologue at Deutschland ninth, Algarve fourth. So he didn't podium another. I just can't. No, for me, winning world champs does not automatically make you win this award or even get in the podium. Uh, I agree with that aspect. Now, that makes it very difficult, huh? If the guy that won the World Championships is not the winner and the guy that was the best time trialist at the Tour is not the winner, then who is left over? You've got Stefan Kung, who gets second everywhere on on one second and two seconds every single time, except for at the end of the season where he ended up uh, being the victor at the Corona de Nation. So that's a race where he did get a victory, but it's also not the most important time trial of the season it's kind of that thing at the end of the season that everybody reminds themselves of early october okay we've got a time trial this week i forgot Doesn't about count. it <laughs> <laughs> it's irrelevant okay completely irrelevant according to you and i understand why because i also kind of agree when it comes to filippo gano let's stand still by his performances for a second we know that he doesn't have the best season when it comes to on-road time trials we see him getting the victory at Bessege. Provence, but those are races that are not necessarily the highest races in the world. Let's be honest about it. UAE Tour, where he gets second in that time trial behind Bissiger. He's back at Tedeno, winning the initial ITT ahead of Remco Evenepoel there, 11 seconds ahead of him. And then we look at the Dauphiné, where he ends up winning ahead of Wout van Aert. So he's beating two of the other best time trialists in the world. But again, the Tour de France, not that great. Europeans, he loses. World Champs was not good. Obviously, let this be clear, I don't really care about the UCI hour record and his track time trial performance for this road cyclist award. This is completely about road cycling for me. So, Gana had a bad season. It was a failure of a season if you just look he at his road cycling. He failed all his main targets. Exactly. But where did that, does that put him for you? Does that put him outside of the top three? Because if we look at pure time trial Strength, I'd argue that he's the best or one of the best time trialists in the world, but on 2022 alone, he didn't do it for me. Uh, he's still in my top three, but you have to, yeah, like he, his big target was taking yellow in the Tour de France. He didn't do that. And then his final TT came fifth. And then World Champs, he was non-competitive. So, like... Is he watching? Well... No, I come mean, on. No, no, he's not washed in terms of TT, but in terms of actual road cycling, non-TT races, Ghana's one of the most overrated riders in the world. Like, every year. It'll happen again next year. Oh, should Ineos go for Ghana and MSR? It's like, are you serious? Like, 
uh, he's yeah. I mean, I know he can beat up guys in Tour de Provence on the on the flat, but yeah, he's people think he's someone he's not in in classics and and road races. But in terms of TT, I have him third. Uh, he still won two World Tour level TTs. He came second in another. He won his national championships, podium Europeans, and and won a smattering of others. So I still have to put him third. I have a I have a Wafenart second because he won a Tour de France time trial. If he'd done Worlds, he would have podiumed it probably. And yeah, he won a Paranis TT as well, second in the Dauphiné. So that edges him out over Ghana, being having that Tour de France TT uh, a second and a first, even though Vingegaard might have eased up a bit in the final TT. And then I have Avonapol first because he turned up to Worlds. He podiumed. He won the Vuelta TT by a huge margin. He won Belgian National Champs TT, which is competitive, won Swiss TT and uh, Basque second, Terreno second, Algarve first. So, yeah, I have Avonapol best time trials in the world. Okay, I think I've got one difference in that top three where I don't have Ghana in uh, the third spot. I've got Tobias Foss in the third spot because I believe that despite him not being overly performing throughout the rest of the season, except for Corona de Nacion where he got second, but that's an irrelevant race as we just heard. Like winning the World Championships deserves you at least a third spot, in my opinion, because it's the best or the most important time trial of the season. Yes, if you're not consistent throughout the season, that's that's what happens. Like it can happen and it might mean that you're not the best time trialist and like physical strength but this year alone if you can do that i think he deserves a top three spot and therefore i put him above again who had a failure of a season on the road when it comes to his time trial and that is likely to be the other way around next season because i think ghana will do the tour de france again in preparation for also world championships in glasgow with uh both the track and the time trial so I think Ghana's probably going to be back in the top three for me next year. But this year, I put Foz above Ghana because of the actual results that they delivered. I agree with your top two. I've got Fanad in second, Avonapol in first. And people are going to think like, oh, Belgian bias. But it's, in my opinion, it's the truth. I think Fanad is essentially a better time trollist than Avonapol at its score. But if you don't show up at the World Championships, the most important race to prove it, then sorry, man. Like, you can do whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> That's your problem. You're not in the first spot here. Remco Evenepoel is the winner for me. I think so. I think if Vanart does World Champs TT, he probably takes this out, but yeah. he didn't, so that's what it is. On Foster, I would say, I kind of hope that the World Champs TT win is a turning point for him in his yeah. career. And and second in Chrono de Nation, I think he was only like two seconds behind Kung. Like That isn't a joke performance. Like It wasn't like Kung beat him by a minute. Hot I hope... He's going oh, to no, win the time trial at the Giro. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of what I, I, I was getting to in that I hope he just gives – I frankly hope he gives up on GC at the Tour, all that sort of thing. He's 25. He's a big guy. Like he's 6'1", 6'2". He's, I think, listed at PCS at mid-70, like 75 kilos. Remember Wiggins, you know, Wiggins for him that no one's winning the Tour at 75 kilos against guys like Pog, Vingegaard, who can TT with the best, or Rolich, or, or Mars, or Avonapol. So I kind of hope he leans into what I think he's naturally better at, which is being a powerhouse. 
and he's got a lot of watts. I think chasing the watts per kilo to compete with the guys who are naturally closer to 63 to 65 kilos is going to be, I think he's going to spend a lot of years frustrated doing that. So I think if he, if he does commit to or stick with, okay, I'm going to race at 73 to 75, keep my absolute power. I agree, Benji. I think he can be a consistent top three in World Tour GC time trials or Grand Tour time trials next year. Um, we'll see if that's if that's what he does. Um, but yeah, that was the best time trials awards. Avon unanimously number one. Now for the big one. I don't know if this one would be controversial. Who is the best GC rider of 2022? We've got Mass second of Welter, and he was good in other World Tour GC uh, races, but he crashed. Henley won the Giro, then fifth at Torino, but then I think like 11th at the Welter or something. Roglic, Paranis, Dauphiné crashed out of the Tour, crashed out of the Vuelta. Remco won the Vuelta, failed in all other World Tour GC races, but did well at Valenciana and Algarve. Pog, second of the Tour, one Torreno, UAE Tour of Slovenia, and Vingegaard, second Torreno, second Dauphiné, second Crow race, and won the Latour. Um, what's your first, first thoughts, Benji? Firstly, when it comes to the likes of Enric Mas, getting his uh, third, second at La Vuelta now, so he's continuously getting the same spot across the years. Is he necessarily getting better? I do believe that Moss is getting stronger over the years and that this was probably his best half season, the last six months that he's had in his career, most likely for Henrik Moss. So I'm pretty hyped about him, but I don't necessarily put him on the podium because there's more riders that did more in the season that won more Grand Tours and so forth, like a, a Jai Hindley who won the Giro d'Italia, but then was weaker when he went to the Tour de France afterwards. I'm actually not certain if it was a Tour de Vuelta anymore. But Mainly did Vuelta. Okay, he was sent to the Vuelta and eventually didn't really do it there. So it was really only that Giro for Jai Hindley. And it's really inconsistent throughout the season. So that's also like a minus point for him, in my opinion, despite winning that Giro, which is high up on my list. Paris and Dauphiné being won by Roglic, who ends up crashing out of the Vuelta, crashing himself out of the Vuelta into Fred Wright. So that's kind of his own fault. And then we look at the Tour de France where Haybell just drops in front of him and it was because the motorbike ahead kind of hit it and it ended up on the road ahead of him. So that's unfortunate and not necessarily his fault compared to the Vuelta crash, I would say. But looking at that, it's a combination of bad luck at the Tour de France combined with the factor that he didn't really prove it in the bigger races because he crashed himself out in some races, like at the Vuelta. And we've seen that across the years of his career as well, that that happens often. He's he's crash-prone compared to other riders, let that be clear. But he's still one of the better GC riders in the world. He has those capabilities in the time trial, in the climbing, and has that punch at the end of races as well that is so feared by other riders. So that's what puts him in the top four for me, whether that's on the podium or not. I won't reveal it yet. The other three names are obviously Jonas Vingegaard, who won the Tour de France, second at Tirino and second at the Dauphiné, and second at the... Was it Tour of Croatia behind uh, Mate Mohoric because he bottled it in an intermediate sprint in the last stage? Anyway, like if we look at these performances, Jonas Vinga is the kind of rider where after the Tour de France, you'd think, where was he all this year? But he was there, second at the Tireno and second at Dauphiné. He was just in the shadow of Pogacar at Tireno and Roglic at the Dauphiné, at which he was, in my opinion, still a better rider than Roglic. We said it during our Dauphiné recap that we thought that Vingegaard was a stronger rider on 
on the big climbs in the last weekend of that race. And Tadej Pogacar then, second at the Tour de France, winning Tirreno, winning UAE Tour, winning Tour of Slovenia, last of which I couldn't care less about because he was basically stomping his own teammates. And I'd argue that he's probably the most complete GC rider in the peloton because he's less crash-prone than both Vingega and Roglic. And I'd argue that when it comes to his ability to be good on all terrains, he's better than Vingega. His weakness at the Tour de France was the longer climbing and also the fact that his tactics on stage 11, Grand All stage, weren't necessarily the best in the world either. But that's also part of the team side, I would argue. Remco Evenepoel is the last one that is also on this list for me as potential winners of this trophy. And that is uh, because he won La Volta a España, but he flopped in Tirreno and Swiss and the lead up towards the Vuelta. So that's also the inconsistency that matters. I think La Vuelta is a turning point for Remco Evenepoel that he will be more and more consistent throughout the next season as well. So I wouldn't necessarily see that as a horrible thing. But first of all, before I give my top three, do you have any takes on these waters and what would you argue is your third spot on your list? Third one's tough between Roglic and Avonapool because how do you balance two World Tour one weeks with a Grand Tour and then, you know, Roglic was still good in the Tour, but they crashed, but then the crashes are often his fault, but then the Tour one wasn't his fault. It's tough. Then Avonapool, you know, he won these dot pro GC races but yeah, it's not like he was coming fourth or fifth. It actually came fourth in Basque. So that was kind of, he was still there in Basque country. He was still wearing the jersey. And uh, actually, Roglic, I think, was injured in that race. And they rode for Vingegaard. So I put Avonapol third over Roglic. Um, I think his world to performance was really impressive, climbing and TT. And even though he crashed on Sierra de la Pandera before then, uh, yeah, I think he was really good. Uh, Pagat drive second because Vingegaard smashed him at the Tour, and Vingegaard was also, I think, would have won the Dauphiné, you know, on if he was just the out-and-out leader, but he wasn't, but he was very strong at the Dauphiné, and he was good at Torino too. So, yeah, I have Vingegaard first, Pog second, and Avonapol third. And I think Mas might have been third if he hadn't crashed so much this year. He was really, really good, stepped up a bit. Okay, time to get controversial, No. Time to get controversial. When it comes to my third spot, I agree. Remco Evenepoel over Primoz Roglic, which in its essence, I would still argue that if we put Roglic against Evenepoel in a Tour de France head-to-head five out of five times next year, I'd argue that three out of five times Roglic would end up on top, but mainly due to the team strength of Jambo. If that was like a 1v1 without Pogacar and Vingega in the picture, just because of the team strength, I put Roglic above Evenepoel in that race, but... This year, that was not the case. This year was clear to me that an Evenepoel was better at the one Grand Tour that he was focusing, while Roglic could not make it work at the Tour de France and the Vuelta, both door cra- by, because of crashes, but also just throughout the season, not overly consistent. Only ended up winning Paris because of Valfenard by his side, which that would have been a real choke if Valfenard wasn't there. So we'd add it to that choke list he already had from the past. When it comes to my top two, Time to get controversial. <laughs> I've got Jonas on second. And I've got Pogacar in first. Because I believe that <laughs> Pogacar is the most complete of the two when it comes to GC. And I would argue that both of these riders 
with limited team strength, Pogacar comes out on top every single time. I think Jonas still won the Tour de France because of the team that surrounded him. And Pogacar has won the Tour de France a few times without the team surrounding him. I believe that in its essence, Pogacar is a better GC rider than Jonas Vingegaard. I agree that you could just as well put this the other way around because Vingegaard won the most important GC race. But I think that Pogacar is the better GC rider when we look at his abilities. I think Pogacar can maintain a peak longer throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, if maybe Jonas had won by 10 seconds and yeah. Pog had beaten him in the final TT and taken time back, I could get on board with it. But Jonas completely ruined him in the tour. Like every climb, he was superior, not just the long climbs. I believe he could have dropped him on Pagur. Um, Pagancha couldn't drop him on um, the Jalabert climb. And then the TT, Jonas was far, far superior, the final one. I acknowledge that if this was, if you sent both of them to the Giro next year, I'd take Pog every time Um, because there's three high mountain stages. Odds are one of them is going to be rainy and cold. So (laughs) I would take (laughs) Pog for that. But I just don't want to overrate his cold weather ability. I think TT is a wash between the two. And I think, I don't just think it's the 50 minute, 40 minute climbs that Pigatch's. Uh, weaker than Jonas on and I think Jonas was a little bit undercooked or I think he had an Achilles injury or something was that last year I can't remember last year I think Um, I don't don't think he had ideal preparation earlier how much do I value UAE Tour Pog winning that I don't to be honest because it means so much more to him than anyone else doing it so like I agree he has to he has to win it um but the thing is, Jonas didn't win a single GC race outside of the Tour. He got second every time. So, But Dauphiné, then... I'm practically giving him. <laughs> I get that. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's why I feel, like, I feel like Jonas was essentially on top level out of another World Tour GC race like the, the Dauphiné and was very good there. So, yeah. I, I mean, I see, I see the argument for Pogaccia. Um, you can't. He still won three stages. How do we value stages in this? Because he obviously no. is much more capable of winning stages. I don't really. Consolation prize. Pure, yeah, pure GC. Um, next year, we'll wait to see what the Tour de France route is um, yeah. to see who will come out on top because we only know the Giro won for now. Anyway, next category, two more left. Who was the best team of 2022? Why don't you start us off, Benji, on some on some outsiders? Let's talk about Bahrain for a second. Last year, the team that punched above their weight quite significantly with Colbrelli winning Roubaix. I think that was last year at least because I'm throwing all the years to each other at this point. Yeah, Mohoric doing great at the year. Tour de France. Turns winning a stage at the Tour de France as well. Plenty of stuff happening throughout the season. And I'd argue that they took a step back this year. Yes, Alanda still podium Giro d'Italia. Mohoric still won Milano Sanremo because of one hist- his dropper seat post, man. His dropper seat post and the motorbike. <laughs> because of the motorbikes. <laughs> and his good descending. I think it's also to be said that he was probably the best descender regardless of the dropper seat post and regardless of the motorbike. It would have been close, but I agree that it would have been different. Now, um, I think Bahrain took a step back and I don't think they're in my top three compared to last year where I think they were in the top three of both of us. So yeah. that's significant change when it comes to our top three. Another team that disappointed in part of the season was quick step like their classics was 
not good. And that was due to injuries and bad luck when it comes to the Cleric being out, for example. Stibar and Lampard out in Paris-Nice. Bad preparation towards the rest of the Classics for them. Osgrin having COVID during Algarve and having to build up through the Classics towards being at a decent shape at the Tour of Flanders to then puncture at the top of, I think it was the, the Koppenberg. So that man had some bad luck. The worst timing to have a puncture is at the top of the Koppenberg. <laughs> but it happened. So, hey, that's what happens. Then Alaphilippe, bad luck, Strade crash, getting taken out by his own team, Coet Brabant Sepel, his crash at LBL, his crash at the Velta, like his entire season was being ruined by that. And I'd argue that the only light point in there then was Jakobsen winning sprints and Evenepoel winning the Velta and LBL. So that significantly saved them quite a bit. But I'd argue when Lampard it comes to this... TT. Lampard TT. They got, they got lucky with that, yeah. You're right. I agree with that. When it comes to Jakobsen, though, like... The sprint train wasn't there every single time, and I'd argue that was weaker than the combination with Bennett last year. So yeah. that's also one part where I'm like, that dynamic in the team wasn't perfect this year. So I think it's, I think they're out of my top three as well, which they're nowhere near mine. Yeah, I've got. Our I think teams. they were significantly worse than last year. Yeah, I agree. Well. Then Ineos. A team with Pitcock, Sheffield, Turner, Von Barla, Kwiatkowski doing stuff in the Hill Classics, doing things in the Cobble Classics. Thomas at the Tour not necessarily getting much help from Yates, in my opinion. He was kind of like going for his own GC. Pitcock being sent in breakaways a few times and then dropping out of GC but still winning a stage. I think they could have played tactically better in that race, for example. But overall, I'd argue that they're definitely a strong team with even Carlos Rodriguez being good at the Vuelta but then being... Yeah, having his crash and eventually dropping out. Otherwise, he would have beat the user, of course. Like in our 1v1 battle we had between the user <laughs> and the Otherwise, Rodriguez <laughs> would have been higher. No, no, no. But um, they tried trials at one point. Sivakov and Carlos Rodriguez's time trial yeah. at the Vuelta was next level, for example, compared to what we expected from them. Actually, just pause there. I hadn't thought of this. Do we, are we, do we rate staff, equipment choices... Ooh nutrition training in this i hadn't thought of that because like intermarche for example do they go near the top three because of the base level talent and how they got it to perform do uae get knocked because of the talent they have and then the results might be below what we expect do we rate or is or is that just a represented by the results the results are a function of the competency of the back background staff i've got entermarché in my top three so i guess that answers your question in some shape or form because they punch significantly above their weight not necessarily winning a a monument for example but it got close with the headmonds at lbl for example well relatively close considering there was a rider up ahead quite a bit ahead so that's still a factor that matters the vrind being up there when when it comes through a bay christoph getting back to his winning ways they set up a lead out train pretty strongly as well Binyam being out there at the Giro, Gendwevelgem, a victory for them that is basically close to a monument, as Gendwevelgem is together with Strade, that, that raised that people are like, oh, they should be monuments, but hey, it's not the case. They just overperformed on so many levels because they, they were able to have riders that were not necessarily the top talents overperform, and also they had the top talents like a Binyam being able to break out and actually make it work. So I do very much rate that. I want to add to my Ineos statement earlier for a second. Ineos is probably one of the teams that rode the best as a team because I'd argue that their Roubaix, Amstel yep. and Brabant's victories were an advantage of 
were a, a consequence of using a numerical advantage in groups and getting away that way. So that is a factor there. UAE and Jumbo are the last two teams, and I'll let you talk about them for a second. What's your take on those two? So UAE is the pog show. Um, it's for, I like Ayuso, but, you know, next year I think he'll win a lot more. Uh, he didn't win a world tour race. And for the team stuff, I really only care, for this award, I, I care a lot about world tour races. I do count Kerner and Brabant. They are the startless quality is world tour level um, for those particular races, but largely I just care about world tour races. And, and I say that because UAE send, they do such a big calendar. They do a relegation battle calendar. They were like having guys at all these Italian classics last week, Veneto, like he or she won the Veneto classic. And like, frankly, I, I don't consider that in this award. I care about world tour races, particularly when you're spending at the top end of the sport. That's what matters. And I think UAE, they had two World Tour level one-day races, Strata, uh, Montreal. Montreal is a good start list. That's That was a good race. Lombard, they won a monument, Lombardia again. They won, apart from that, two World Tour one weeks and then second in the Tour, third in the Vuelta. And so Pog is really doing the heavy lifting there. And you look at Almeida, uh, Ackerman, McNulty, Bennett, a lot of other riders on on a lot of money, they're not winning that many World Tour races. McNulty did win a nice Paranese break, I think. So only 18 World Tour level wins, no Tour de France win. Last year, I think it was only 14, but... They got the Tour de France win, and I think they won five World Tour, uh, five Grand Tour stages this year. Um, so I actually have them nowhere near Jumbo Visma this year. I actually have Ineos ahead of UAE mm-hmm. in second. I have UAE third, just because, like, it sounds weird to say because Ineos budget's huge, but I think mm-hmm. their talent this year are kind of on par with UAE, maybe a bit less because you don't have Pog, and they're you know, second in RVV, winning Roubaix. They won, I think, three World Tour one weeks with three different riders. They got third at the, third at the Tour, podium at the Tour as well, even though I know Thomas was nowhere near Pog. And then they <laughs> came second in the Giro, so that matches Ayuso's third at the Vuelta. And Carapaz won three stages of the Vuelta. I think they won, uh, no, sorry, UA won six Grand Tour stages and with three TDF stages and UA and Ineos only won four and only one TDF stage. But I just think like UAE are so bad in all the cobbled classics, apart from RVV when Pog is there, like they're they're not even a top ten team that I have to knock them. And without the Tour de France win or another Grand Tour win, I have Ineos ahead of them. And Yumbo, um, yeah, goes out saying saying really, I think they're clearly the best team in the world this year, winning the Tour de France, uh, Dauphiné, Paris Nice. Missing, they didn't win a monument, did they? They did not win a monument. Okay. Yeah, and Giro. Oh, they won two Giro stages, which is better than last year. And then on the alternative program, Koi's winning a lot of races. I know they're not well to us. I have Yumbo first. So Yumbo, Ineos, UAE. When it comes to UAE, I've got them on fourth because UAE doesn't deserve to be in the top three because their team tactics are fucking horrible. Like, I've spoken to... (laughs) 
professional riders in the last month, and I was not bringing up anything when it comes to UAE. And those professional riders bring up the fact that UAE's tactics are are shit. Like if a opposition of UAE brings it up in a conversation that's completely not about UAE, then there must be something wrong with the tactics at UAE. And we see that in so many races. Like Lightweight Leah is the perfect example of having shit tactics but still winning because they had so many riders at the front of the race. They were all riding against each other, and one of oh, them Lombardia? ended up winning. Lombardia? What? Sorry? In Lombardia. They did the same in Emilia and the same in Lombardia. I, I don't... It relies on Pog being the strongest. And he was. And I think... Yeah, he was. Well, he wasn't in Emilia. Uh, true, but it's a different and race. And they lost. I'm not on 100% okay with the Lombardia example. He I've... would have won easier if they sent Ulysses up the road in a small group. Potentially. But it worked well, no, out. We, we both agree and... that we don't think their tactics are great. Yeah, I agree. And we see that in also the way they respond to adversity in moments that they don't expect it. The way Almeida was caught off guard so many times throughout the season. It can both be tactics, can both be him as a rider that isn't ready for those moments. There's moments where Soler was sent up the road where he wasn't used as a satellite rider right on time. And all those kind of small things that line up that are just not on point. It's like there's an issue in the team car there. And I hope they fix it to see... Uh, what happens if it's fixed next year? Because that, like, imagine UAE, but with go to tactics, they win the Tour de France easily. No? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, unless unless suddenly they sign me and you and me and you turn into godlike <laughs> rulers and they can have us <laughs> managing breaks in the Tour, which they didn't fix that in the off-season. So, I mean, I more see them now more capable. They really, at a minimum... They should podium every Grand Tour. Yeah. And tr- they should be winning at a minimum one a year, at a minimum. Yeah. And, like, you can't have a Uso Almeida. And Uso, he came third in the Vuelta, so, like, he did do that, and he's, like, a, a child. Um, but Giro, they they got to be trying to win the Giro next year. And I don't think they will because I don't expect Uso and Almeida to have – great they, I, I don't think they're gonna use those stages where you can use two leaders satellite riders i don't see it i don't even expect the user to be at that race i think almeida is going to be sending a solo leader to the giro and we'll That's have insane. him podium the giro as third which i'd be rooted to see i like seeing almeida as solo gc leader he got COVID this year right in yeah. the giro he would have been yes. likely on the podium if yeah. that was not the case true so he so can but, but the then giro. every team like bahrain colbrelli has the heart issue the guy who won Roubaix last year and Haig crashed in the tour and then because his injury was quite bad he couldn't recover in time for the Vuelta remember last year crashed out of the tour but there was time for him to do the Vuelta where he came third every team has these things so well I just look at it as evened out like Yates everyone gets you know Sivakov got COVID out of the Vuelta maybe Ineos come fourth with that and like this is the the fun aspect of it eh? everybody's like valuing uh, within teams are the the team classification of the UCI points, I want to go for that. UAE has mentioned, I think Machin has mentioned that he wants that when it comes to UAE, that's a goal of them. But I don't I don't really care about that. I think most people within cycling, most fans don't give a crap about that ranking. It's probably just their UAE sponsor that said, we want to be the best team in the world. And Machin will be like, oh, here, here's the list. We're the best team in the world. So if that's a sponsor request, I understand that that is the goal of UAE to do that. But 
in essence, in the sport itself, it's completely valueless. Just in the, just like the fact that teams are bragging about having the most victories in the year when they go shopping for victories at the Tour of Croatia and the Tour of Hungary. I couldn't give less fucks whether it's Jumbo and Quickstep. I want to see them win at the biggest races, and that defines what happens. Anyway, Randall. Well, uh, we can prove that. Can someone go and check the the likes on the Instagram or Twitter post when Yumbo won the tour, like their big post of winning the tour versus this week with their most wins or like number one in the ranking post? Because like, and obviously like a Yumbo, no, like winning that they know winning the tour is the big deal. Yeah. Um, it's more UAE where I'm like, wow because like koi doesn't get sent to all these races to farm wins he gets sent as part of his development plan yeah uh, progressing as a young rider same with ineos ineos don't go to set in mana because they're like actually we want to break 50 maybe they do but i don't think it's a <laughs> priority the reason they're at set in mana with their young riders dunbar. is development uh-huh. um and or to increase dunbar's trade value uh or no there's no <laughs> trades in cycling <laughs> um <laughs> Last work, you remember when Lefebvre did Al, um, Hodge a big solid? He got him to win a couple of races and then he got a UA contract. So, yeah, Tour yeah. de France is, is unfortunately overwhelmingly important. On to my podium then. My podium is Ineos in the third spot. I do believe that winning races as a team you is very valuable. You can't have second. Enter Marche. Well, well, wait, 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 wait. Maybe <laughs> they're first. We're not there yet. Ineos in the first spot. And Ineos, with their ability to win as a team, having youngsters show up at races, overperforming like a Sheffield showing up, a Turner showing up, and really working together. I think the one youngster that hasn't performed at the level that they were hoping for necessarily was a Kim Hajduk, who has shown at Buddy Tour that he still exists. But I feel like that is valuable. And I feel like they're tweaking their essence of the team a bit, not only to road cycling, like they got Ferrand Prevot in there as well for off-road in the future, but also Ghana when it comes to track, Viviani when it comes to track, Pitcock when it comes to cyclocross. I don't value these things, so that would probably boost them a tiny bit, but I don't give a crap about non-road cycling in this podcast. This is road cycling, men's cycling, and facts. Still, Ineos is third, and that says a lot. Anthony Marché second because Anthony Marché punched so far above their weight and performed so well with so many riders that you wouldn't have expected to perform at that level before the season started. And I believe they, I think, is it Ike Visbeck? Or who was the guy that is performance manager now at Anthony sure. Marché? Uh, someone. Jan, Jan Bakalant said he was the man behind all the stuff. <laughs> and he's out, isn't he? Yeah, he, uh, I don't know. I think he's going to bingo. I'm not sure. Bingo Al is how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, <fucking's> back. <laughs> I think I think Intermarche are gonna have a down downward year next year, yeah. actually. Well I think they're gonna they only won five world tour races, including Hand Two, yeah, three Grand Tour stages though. Than world Tour, I'm pretty sure. Mm, New really? sponsor next year though. Intermarche Circus Wanti, it's now called. So we're getting 74 sponsors instead of 47 for them next year. They got 47 sponsors, by the way. That's so <laughs> stupid. Like, <laughs> hey, sponsor us. <laughs> you get no you get no exposure. Like, I don't how, know. It's the Androni model. How uh, much, it's tough. How much do you get Lantern Recycling Podcast on like the one centimeter, like at some point on the back or something of the shirt? How much do you think it will cost? Five grand? 10 grand? <laughs> what do you reckon? Can we Probably provide a lot goods more in kind? 
<laughs> what, what what goods or services can we provide? Because their social media guy or girl on Twitter is like on fire Goated. now. So, yeah, maybe we can't really help with goods or services. Who do you have won, Yumbo? Well, before we get there, I do believe that Antomarche <laughs> as a team will have a down year, but Binyam will rise up again and will uh, probably show up at the Tour de France, probably win a Tour de France stage and level up a tiny bit compared to this year. Yeah, he might not be able to win again to Evelham again or something, but... He will be up there in the classics more than he was this year because now he won't skip RVV, I hope, in 2023. Let's hope so, at least, that he just doesn't run away just before RVV like he did in 2022. Nonetheless, Jumbo Visma is also the first for me. I think it's pretty straightforward. Strongest team at the classics, got hit by COVID with Wout at RVV. Mechanical scratches at Strade with Spinot and Laporte at RVV and Wout and Laporte at Roubaix. But all teams have those. And regardless of that, they still got results. One failure in the season is that they did not get a monument. I believe a team like that should be getting a monument 100% in the season. And I think Milano Sanremo is an opportunity where they could have gotten that if they got two riders over the Poggio, for example. I think Roubaix and Wout at Roubaix, bad luck throughout it. He was probably one of the strongest riders in the race, if not the strongest, to get away to Von Barle. But hey, it did not work out because they also had Laporte dropping out because of his wheel collapsing halfway the race so all these tiny factors to the fronts by far the best team in the race like team performance was great tactics when it comes to satellite riders up the road and that giving finger god uh, the protection of having someone up there just in case pogacar attacks behind that makes so much difference the danger of wild not being up the road stuff like that olaf koi with his sprints that is going to level up next year uh, domestiques being able to go for races, Benoit, for example, Eduardo of Vlander and Amstel getting close despite not really having the finishing skills, and that shows by the fact that they didn't win those races, most likely. But there's so many things we can talk about about Yumbo's season, and another failure, though, their Giro was, sorry, but outside of stage wins, a team like Yumbo should not be getting just two stage wins at a Giro. They should be getting a GC podium at the Giro. But um, how? It's not like know. UAE. They don't Kelderman have next year. The... It's happening. Who? Kelderman next year. It's happening. No, but that's not it. They don't really have much depth in GC riders. It's not like UAE or any... like UAE and Ineos have more second tier GC riders. Like because Dumoulin was, I never thought like yeah he couldn't climb this year. So um, they really just have Roglic and Vingegaard and. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think the Giro was fine given the squad they sent. Would have liked to have seen Koi, but yeah, missing the monument, but still. I think if UAE won the Tour, UAE, I don't know. I don't know how much it swings. But yeah, them, any last thoughts, Benji, before we go to best rider of the world? The weakest part of Jumbo Visma was whoever signed off on that Roglic versus right article. That's one thing I wanted to add when it comes to this. But outside of that, I think it's pretty on point that they're the first here, and I um I rate Antomarche second place. Goated. Anyway, who do you think will win next year? Yambo again. Okay, um, actually don't know. Yambo Visma didn't have that much luck this year. Like mm-hmm. I'm not saying they had a lot of bad luck, but I'm not saying I don't think everything went their way either. Roglic crashed wasn't his fault in the tour at least. Crashed out of Welter. Vanak got COVID for RVV and then the wheels collapsed in Roubaix. So I don't think everything 
went their way, except the weather and the tour was pretty toasty. <laughs> I think that was that was helpful. And so next year with Kelderman, Tratnik, Van Bala, oh, it's, it's strong. And it's also like Benoit, Van Hoydonk, Laporte. They're not old. Like yeah. it's not like Quick Step where Stebar and others seemingly really hit fell off a cliff. Maybe they didn't. Um, but their guys are in their primes too, so I think they'll be better next year. I think um, I think Quickstep will be better next year, closer to the podium. I think UAE will step up and be on the podium. So that those are the changes I see happening here, and I expect Ineos to like stick within that top three as well. So that's the views I have on it. I don't necessarily see like a team outside of those like ones we named that will suddenly show up out of nowhere and be in the in the top three necessarily. Like a DSM, I don't see moving up a bike exchange. I don't see moving up. DSM, those kind mate, of they're getting relegated. They're so <laughs> bad. You seen their signings? Sean Flynn is a legend, my man. I'm sure he is, but they, they're favourites to be relegated. Okay. They were worse than Astana in a points basis, I think, this year. I'm pretty sure. And Astana, like, we're a comedy team this year, except for well, nearly fourth Giro. If we really work on relative to budget performance and Astana, like, oh, next level, they were they were literally broke at the start of the season. So whatever they yeah. did was miles ahead of everybody else. <laughs> yeah, DSM, man, not looking good, bruv. Anyway, we might do worst team of the year in uh, the <laughs> part three. Now it's the who's the best or who was the best cyclist in the world in 2022. I know I always flip-flop, so I had to write my notes down. Uh, Van der Poel, not as good this year. Um, shouldn't have done the Tour de France and stayed in the Tour way too long, I think. And then World Champs, we all know what happened there. And Van Aert, green jersey, domestique at the Tour, Superdom, and one stages. Omlope, E3, but no monument. And then we've got Pog all round. We've already mentioned his victories in the one days and the World Tour races. And Vingard Tour, second Torino, second Dauphiné. Even if all one Love Welter, World Champs and LBL. I have Van Aert third because he was winning World Tour races both one days, start of the year, during the year, um, and then Green Jersey, he just, you know, he got COVID and then his, his wheel failed at Roubaix and they also missed that Ineos split. I have Pagacha, oh, sorry, I have Avonapol second, won World Champs. Can't do better than that. Third in the TT. And then I have Pagacha first because if you mix together his GC results and one-day results, I, uh, I think uh, I think un- undoubtedly the best rider in the world this year. I think when it comes to Mathieu van der Poel, I want to add that he did win RVV, so that is a big raise. Oh, and he did true. do well at the start of the Giro, for example. But we expect more than just one monument performance and the Giro, for example. Third MSR as well. Yeah, that's true. Ah, it just sh- doesn't shout top three for me in this list right now. And while I do think that he's one of the best cyclists in the world, I feel like he stagnated compared to previous is that harsh to say like because he won rvv before he won to the front stages would we argue that van der poel stayed on the same level and not necessarily added something else to his to his arsenal uh, Nah, i think he was better this year 
okay. think his programming and schedule was scheduling's not great. I think domestique support was not great this year either for him and Alperson. RVV, I think, was a harder race this year. What's wise on the climbs? I not. I have to check that. Um, I just he just shouldn't have done the tour, or they should have pulled him when he wasn't looking good. They just and then that meant he couldn't really go back, recover, target. You know, I guess he was targeting worlds, but yeah, uh, not great. I um I do think that much of on the pool with the transfers that have been announced by Nalpasin, like a certain could Anderson and so of joining the team will be more successful in the classics next season, where he might win two classics races instead of one, for example, a monument and a classics like Nitri or something, because I do feel like the team strength getting better around Van der Poel will have an effect next season. But that's a bit more for our Alpecin team preview that will come towards the end of this year. When it comes to my next name, Wout Fanat is also a name I have on my long lists, my short lists. That doesn't make any sense, but you know what I mean. Uh, he won the green jersey, like you mentioned, but also the super domestique factor. Winning Omelope and E3, I'd argue it's partially him being one of the best cobblers in the world, but also the factor that he is uh, developed by such a team around him. Like That helps him in those classics races because the team factor is really important in those races. But there's one big lacking factor, and he does need to win a monument like... I think Tom Bonin put in uh, Belgian media the other week that a lot of people are saying that he's the best uh, he could have been. That was the best he could have gotten this year, green jersey and so forth. But Tom Bonin said, I disagree. He should win a monument. And I fully agree with Tom Bonin that Wout van Aert should win a monument. As simple as that. Otherwise, you cannot be called the best cyclist in the world. You have the skills for it, but it doesn't work out this year. And yes, the bad luck at RVV and the bad luck at Roubaix has a factor in that. So perhaps next year is the year that he gets that monument again like he won MSR in the past, for example. When it comes to the other three names that exist, the Vinga guy is pretty obvious, eh? He's in that in that long list, like winning the Tour de France. But yeah, second that, Tireno Dolphini, we mentioned it in our GC riders um, discussion already. That's very valuable, winning the most important race in the world. I think... When it comes to Evenepoel and Pogacar, it starts becoming difficult. Let me first decide my third spot, and I would put... Ah, oh, I think I need to put Jonas Vingegaard in third, because he wins that most important race in the year, and I personally value GC above Classics a tiny bit, and as a consequence, Wout van Aert kind of falls out of that top three for me. And perhaps people might disagree there, but... That's my take on this. You could just as well have it the other way, way around, I would say. But the factor of winning the Tour de France, you need to be put in the best cyclist in the world right now as a consequence. But my top two is where it gets difficult because that's where I've got a division between the most successful rider of 2022 being Remco Evenepoel, winning La Vuelta, World Championships, LBL. That's simply the most successful rider of this year, hands down. Is it? I think it is. <laughs> Second at the Tour is bigger than winning the Vuelta. Not better than winning La Vuelta, LBL, and World Championships. World Championships is as big as winning the Tour in cycling. Close to it. Pog won three TDF stages, a monument, Strade. Remco's world champion! (laughs) I know, but... It depends how you wait. So so let's say that's worth a monument. That's two... That's worth more than a monument for me. Is it? I guess in terms of sponsor ex- sponsor exposure, it is. So let's say he's won two point five monuments. <laughs> like the, 
yeah, no, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that Remco is the most successful. Like he bombed before, before the Vuelta, he bombed everything, right? Except LBL. LBL, sorry, except LBL. <laughs> I I see where you're coming from, but I disagree. <laughs> That's a polite way of saying fuck off. <laughs> no, no, no. I um I think when it comes to La Vuelta, World Champs, LBL, I think I rate that higher than getting second at the Tour de France when it comes to successfulness. He is the most winning rider of 2022, Pogacar, but I don't give a fuck about Slovenia victories and so forth. So, sorry. Like, yeah, that but doesn't... he won Torreno. He won, he, like, he, no, no, no. He won Strade, Torreno, Montreal, UAE Tour. Like, it's not just like he only won Slovenia and then second of the Tour. He did a lot of, in World Tour competition. He ruined Remco in Torreno. I still think that MQ Avenable is the most successful because he won more important races than Pogacar did. I think that that's pretty vital in being most successful for me personally. But hey, we can agree to disagree. Yeah. And just to to say the other thing I wanted to say, I still think Tadej Pogacar is the best cyclist in the world. Because <laughs> he's him as a rider, Pogacar as a rider is way more complete than any rider in the peloton. I think Oud Fanat is also very complete. I think... Some riders are very complete. Amadouaz is pretty complete, but it's probably not in my top five at all. <laughs> it is, obviously. But I think Pogacar is way more complete. The classics, how he's able to do that, next to being one of the best GC riders, next to being one of the better time trialists in the world. Despite that, I feel like UAE's time trialing has completely fell off a cliff since they switched to their new TT bike at the Giro. Is that a reason? I don't know, but I feel like I noticed that. And just... In general, Pogacar getting so close on all these disciplines and all these different races is what puts him up there for me. Now, if an Evenable shows up at RVV next year and is competing for the victory, he might become the best cyclist in the world next year. But currently, it's still Tadej Pogacar for me. That's it. So that's all. So we've got the same one too. Pog one, Evenable two. You got Jonas third. I got Van Aert third. I think. It's tough doing these at the end of the year because I also forget, you know, what happened in the spring classics exactly or the one-week spring races or Basque Country, etc. Um, but, yeah, let us know your thoughts. Who do you think it will be next year? Will Remco, he hasn't said what race he's doing. They said they've decided what Grand Tour they're doing already, which, of course, is completely insane because we don't know the Tour de France <laughs> route yet. So that suggests to me that he's doing the Giro after they've seen they've seen the Giro parkour, which you know, good for the race. But yeah. <laughs> Tour de France, baby. Is the sport is it's the Tour de France. Like, I'm sorry, but the Giro the viewership different like if I'm quick step sponsors also, I'm like, get that Rainbow Bands jersey to the Tour de France now. Unless RCS are paying uh, a big amount um, for him to go to the Giro because it's incomparable, the exposure difference and the importance between the two races, uh, which is a problem for the sport, but that is the current reality. Um, but, yeah, any last thoughts, Benji? Anyone who's who's a rider that could jump into? Yeah. I think Ayuso is going to push the top three next year. I think Yuzo is going to push the top five next year. 
top yeah, three, maybe top five, yeah. Top three is a big one. By the way, just to mention, why is it so difficult for a sprinter to become seen as the best cyclist in the world? Because I swear that only in the high days of the Kittel and the Cavendish, we would have mentioned a rider like that in this list, for example. Is it because they are just not great at all the disciplines that we value that a lot less? Or because they're so honed in on one discipline, you know, being a pure sprinter? I, I think if a sprinter won Omlope, Kent Vavelhem, Green Jersey, three Tour de France stages, two Paris-Nice or two Torino, then we'd be talking. But we didn't have a sprinter nearly yeah. like that this year. It was so I didn't even think about any of them. Frankly, it was yeah. just a mix. Philipson was my best, but even he didn't have like a a ridiculous season either. I agree. It's uh, is the unfortunate effect of being a sprinter, but it's also. The factor that we don't have that top sprinter like back in the days, like when a Cavendish was destroying the Tour de France, when a Kittel was destroying every sprint by like 10 meters, those were the days for this. And we don't have that right now. Maybe we'll see that in the future, but I currently don't see anyone in the peloton that would start doing that yet. So this might not change in the coming years. Nonetheless, I think that's our list day. We've got Pogacar as the best cyclist in the world. I've got Evenepoel as the most successful one. You've got Pogacar as the most successful one of the year. We named all our things here, but people just need to let us know either on Twitter or in the comment section whether they want that fat pod with the more, uh, more offshore awards. <laughs> I think they could be pretty good, like Milano and Hugo Page, or Hugo Page. How does that compare to... I Biggest don't know, joke? I'm trying to think <laughs> biggest choke does carib <laughs> does Ineos Giro count for that one anyway um <laughs> maybe pacing on Fadaya like that that's a that's a team car that's, choke that's for the next one if the people well uh, I mean three didn't three guys leave the team DS's this year from Ineos it just got announced I don't know if they were the guys in the Giro car but yeah <laughs> Anyway, that's the next one if it happens. Thanks for listening as always. Thanks to Zwift for supporting this show and we'll see you later in the week. Ciao.